When I was growing up, I was always told that I was too much to handle. I was too loud, too opinionated, too demanding, just plain too much. Now, as an adult, I celebrate these qualities within myself and within the women I know. This is a call to action. This is a space to own your too muchness. This is too much to handle. Cranston here, and I'm with Alyssa Leon Smith, who is chief of staff and the media manager at Quincy Jones Productions. And you guys, she is in her early 20s. So clearly, she's a total badass and someone who I am blessed to call my friend. And I think most people would expect us to talk about her business prowess and incredible achievements at such a young age. But today we're actually going to talk about mental health and how to talk about it in relationships. I'm really excited for you guys to meet her and I'm really excited about this episode. But first, I want to give a shout out to the reviewer of the week, Brinley L, who said, I love Hannah's podcast. She's so authentic and vulnerable. It's refreshing to hear someone be so real. I especially appreciated her recent solo episode on self-love. Very powerful. And it also had some great tips. Thank you, Hannah keep up the good work. And thank you so much for leaving a review. These reviews are life for those of us in the podcast world. And I love to hear your thoughts about the podcast and your feedback. It means so, so much to me. And I love that you brought up being vulnerable because that is something that we're really going to get into today with Alyssa. Hi, Alyssa. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I, (laughs) it's funny because when she walked, and I was like, wait, we got to catch up because we usually just yes. like do it over lunch or dinner. And so it's a little weird that we're doing it with mics, but this works too. <laughs> whatever, whatever we can do, you know, we got to fit it in. Exactly. Um, congrats on all of your success with the Quincy documentary on Netflix and just in life. Thank you. So if you guys much. haven't seen this documentary yet, watch it. So good. Props to the directors and all those people. But, you know, I'm happy to be a part of it. Yeah. We got, I guess I saw you a few times pop up. Obviously, <laughs> you know, you're like integral behind the scenes, but like I saw you pop up a few times. Always on the computer, on my <laughs> phone, <laughs> telling people what to do. No, I'm just kidding. No, but actually. <laughs> but I, I, this documentary was so good and you just don't realize, one, how prolific Quincy is and, mm-hmm. and has been. And two, what a humanitarian. I know. I it's mean, insane. wow. It's mind-blowing. I mean, every single time you talk to him, he has a story about something or, you know, a time when he was with Frank Sinatra or Ella Fitzgerald, and you're just sitting there like, and why are you with me again? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're touching history. You're a part of history. I'm so honored. That is so, so honored. And you've been there a while now, right? Yes, five years. Dang. Yes. So I started as an intern my sophomore year of college and honestly just kept with it all throughout and... I'm super, super excited to be there now because we have amazing things coming up for this year, which I can't talk about yet, mm-hmm. but you guys will what find out soon. Ooh, <laughs> yes. What a tease. What a tease. I love that. So I will say as impressive as your personal life is through our conversations, our, our 
friendly conversations through dinners and all that stuff. I've found your personal life to be just as, if not more inspirational. Um, (laughs) And I hope you don't take offense to that because I just think your personal life is, is very inspirational and you've opened up to me in the past and I'm excited for my audience to hear as well about your mental health journey. Mm -hmm. So what does your mental health mean to you? What does it look like to you? Can you share a little bit of your story? Yes, absolutely. So first of all, I think it's important to say that when people talk about your mental state or anything regarding to the mind, it's fine. And when you talk about health, it's fine. But when you put those two words together, it becomes this taboo subject and no one wants to talk about it and everyone freaks out and runs out the door like, I don't want to talk about therapy or my feelings. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that's what mental health is. And I think we all have our own different mental health journeys. And whether that's a positive one, a negative one or a neutral one, we all have one. And so for me, I think my mental health journey starts with me as a kid. And I think it's important to acknowledge how you were raised and your environment and all the things that influenced you because at the end of the day, that really influences the way you think. And for a long time, I didn't believe that. And I thought like, oh, whatever happens, you know, you can tuck away or you can just do something else later on. But every single experience, every single interaction influences the way you see the world. Mm -hmm. And so, sorry if this is too long, but I think when I was when I was younger, this is kind of when it really started. So when I was younger, I would always be blinking my eyes and making weird noises and movements. And I didn't know why. I mean, I thought it was just normal. And I think I didn't think it was normal once people started commenting on it. And I do remember at age seven, my mom told us we were going on a little field trip and we went to take the train because we didn't have a car at the time. And we took the train to this doctor's office and I was there all day and I was doing all these different types of tests and I had no idea what was happening. And they gave me seven shots at once. And it was just like a weird experience. But you know, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm just this happy kid and they're just talking all this scientific stuff. I don't know what's happening. And then, you know, I hear them talk to my mom and they're telling her your daughter has Tourette's syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder. And I'm still sitting there not understanding what this is. And she doesn't really understand what this is either. But the thing that he told her, which I will never forget is your daughter will never be able to drive a car. She will never be able to sit in a classroom with kids. She's going to have to go through all these external programs and do things on her own because she can't be with other people. And, you know, it may not have been in those exact words, but the, the basis of what he was saying was she will never be able to do things that normal people will do. And that is the thing that stuck with me. And, that very moment, even though I was seven and I was so young and not really understanding what was happening, I just felt like, well, that doesn't make sense. And I don't want to be this weird person because I felt that I was completely fine and Mm -hmm. normal and happy. And, you know, I mean, growing up, there was, there were a lot of issues in, in that of itself, but 
my own personal journey started with the diagnosis of Tourette's syndrome and OCD. So it was this long, hard process of me trying to just be normal in this society that tells you that you have to be normal and you cannot be yourself and you cannot make a noise or blink your eyes, but you have to. And you feel like you have to because if you don't, you just feel like you're going to explode. And that's just, mm -hmm. a, it's a neurological disorder. So that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And it messes with your your neurology and how you respond to things. And so I was homeschooled my entire upbringing until I was in seventh grade. In seventh grade, my mom put me into a charter school. And this is, a, ch a charter school is basically where you go part-time in a classroom and then you're homeschooled the other half. So that was my first introduction to being in a classroom with other students. And it was fine, but my mom was so worried that she would go and she would make a presentation to the class before, you know, school started. And she would tell everyone what I had. And, you know, she was definitely looking out. And to this day, I'm grateful for her for doing that because otherwise I don't think the kids would have understood and they would have made fun of me even more. But even sitting there, I will never forget every single time that happened in every class, I would just sit there and cry because, you know, as much as she's trying to do something good for you, it hurts because you feel this attention is all on you and everyone's looking at you and laughing and it's it's hard. So that whole year in seventh grade, I learned how to just just be there. You know, that was mm -hmm. kind of all that I could do was just be there. And then the next year I went into public school in eighth grade. And this is when things kind of got a little bit worse because she didn't come and give a presentation because I was in public school now and it's not really, that's not really how it works. And so I'm sitting in these classes and, you know, kids are always asking like, why are you doing this? Or what are you doing? And why, why are you talking? We're not supposed to be talking. And it was just so confusing because again, even though I knew what I had, I didn't know why I was doing it. And so I will never forget this one moment when I was in class. It was like an algebra class or something. And we had a substitute teacher who didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the back of the class and I guess I was making some sort of noise. And he stops the class and says, who's making that noise? And of course I knew it was me, but I was too terrified to say anything. So I'm sitting in my desk and, you know, the kids around me are kind of looking at me like, is she going to say something? And I didn't say anything. And finally he walked over to my area of the room and he figured out it was me. And he got so upset and started yelling and was like, you need to leave the class. This is it. You're not allowed to come back. So he made me leave the class and I just left crying and these kids were, you know, laughing and it was just such a hard moment. Honestly, I don't think I've ever told anyone about that until now. And so I go outside and I just thought to myself, this is absolutely insane. Like I am in this position because I'm alive and that's it. Like I'm here and this is this is the card that I was dealt and this is what I have to deal with. So from this moment forward, I need to figure out how am I going to live my life? Because obviously it's not like the other kids in the room. And so from that moment, I really just told myself, you are going to do everything you can to the best of your abilities and never let anyone have a reason to say something negative about you. And so from that point on, it became this journey of me 
overachieving and trying to be the best that I could possibly be and, you know, not being a, a terrible child or a hard student, literally everything I could do. I would win all the awards possible at school. Um, and that was, that was my journey up until high school and even college. And it was hard because as much as I was trying to balance just being a person, having friends, I was also trying to balance the internal struggles that I was having. And some days I would go home and I would be so exhausted and I just, I feel like my body was shutting down because mm -hmm. the whole day I'm trying to control myself. And, you know, I mean, I love my parents, but I don't think my dad really understood what it was. And so he was always telling me, don't do that. Like, you can't do that. Or like, be quiet. And again, love him. He's still here with us. So mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say anything bad, but it hurt. And it was hard because everywhere I went, it was always a, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then when you're being told, don't do that a hundred times a day, you're trying to figure out what can you do? Mm. And so through that whole process, I started to figure out what I could do. And I think that was being good at everything. And it only started to really kick in my probably sophomore year of college when I started to realize that, you know, you don't need to, to strive to please anybody. And so I started to pull back a little bit on my overachievingness. And <laughs> I just really started to think about what am I, what am I really here for? Like, what is my purpose? And not being so focused on pleasing other people. And so it was this long, long journey. And I, I'm sure we'll go into more specifics later, but from childhood to honestly, pretty recently, it was really hard and just a journey of trying to figure out why, why am I here and why am I doing the things that I'm doing? I mean, Wow. Like if you guys aren't inspired by that story, I I don't know what to tell you. I have like goosebumps. I mean, just to go back to, to hear that you are never going to be in a classroom with other kids. You're never going to be able to drive. You're never going to be quote unquote normal. Alyssa, would you like to tell the people how you got to the studio today? <laughs> I drove here myself. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it is just a, a huge triumph. And I will tell you, I, we've known each other for a few years now mm -hmm. and I didn't know any of this until a few months ago. And I don't think anybody would meet you, would know your story yeah. and your journey. Um, I guess like, are you still now working to control or quote unquote, like what you, what you're going through internally? Yes. So it's a constant battle. I, I think the people who have known me from childhood to now, mm -hmm. they think I've just completely grown out of it, but mm -hmm. that's not really true for me. It's a constant practice of trying to withhold whatever my urges to do or to blink my eye or to say something. And I think it makes my days 10 times harder. And yeah. I can be honest when I say that. And it's a, you know, it's a practice of trying to focus really hard. And I think sometimes it does affect either 
when I'm talking to people or I'm trying to do something because I'm thinking about it at the same time. And that just adds a whole new layer to something that was already difficult. And so it's a constant daily practice and sometimes a battle, but for the most part, I'm, I'm extremely grateful that it has gotten better since I was a kid. And, um, the doctors did say a lot of people grow out of it. So there is a part of that that is assisted, but for the, for the most part, I would say it's myself and getting used to how to (laughs) getting used to, you know, covering up whatever it is. Ah, that's so interesting because my instinct with that is is to to tell you that you don't need to cover something up that mm-hmm. is so innately you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think the other part of me feels like what a incredible act of like self mastery, mm-hmm. you know, and how inspirational that you've been able to. I mean, achieve what you've, you know, been able to, to, to achieve thus far. I mean, they always say like, you know, men or women have to work, you know, twice as hard to get what men want. So not only are you a woman, (laughs) you are black and you're dealing with all of this Mm -hmm. and you're just like flipping, killing it. Thank you. I mean, that is beyond inspiring and especially since there is such like a stigma around mental health right mm-hmm. um when telling people about your journey did you at first or I guess do you still feel nervous and fearful about it because I mean you're being very honest and vulnerable mm-hmm. and I know that this is something a little new for you sharing this story and something kind of we talked about mm-hmm. before obviously um do you still feel that f- nervous of like what people are going to think or say when you say like I have Tourette's. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because it's been really, really hard my entire life to talk about it because I have these flashbacks of being in school and being talked about. And it wasn't until recently that I've been opening up a little bit more. And I will with friends if they ask about it or, you know, with new people that I meet and they're genuinely interested, that's completely fine. This is definitely the first time I've ever talked about it more on a public Mm -hmm. scale. But at the same time, I'm grateful to be at this point in my life where I have accomplished, at least in my in my eyes of what I was told I wouldn't be able to accomplish, I've accomplished a lot and I'm so thankful and I'm, you know, I'm honestly just honored to be in a position where I can be an advocate because I do know that there are so many people out there who are dealing with the same thing. And the, th- the thing is they're being told by their doctors or people around them that they can't do it. They can't do what they want to do. And that's the hardest part for me is that they may not have ever had a parent who told them that they are intrinsically worthy. And, you know, I'm so grateful to have had parents who have taught me that, but I do know for a lot of people, that's not what they go through and that's not what they experience. And so if I can use my voice to tell someone that I'm all for it. Uh, I mean, that is, that is amazing. And uh, so, so brave too, especially with the climate around mental health, which shouldn't be Mm -hmm. the case. Um, but it is, I want to, I want to sort of get into some of that, but I want to go off on a tangent. Having uh, OCD, Mm -hmm. um, people use that phrase very flippantly. Yes. 
And what are your, and frankly, I've heard Tourette's used really flippantly mm -hmm. as well. What are your thoughts on that and its impact on the mental health community? Yes. So it's really such a bummer because I've heard Tourette's syndrome used in comedy series and it's always that person who's the, you know, the joke. Mm -hmm. And it's been translated into our everyday lives where people are just so desensitized or honestly, they don't even know what it is. So they're mm -hmm. going to use that term and to them it's fine. But to me or anybody else who has it, it's a little bit hurtful because it's something that you go through every single day and it's something that you have struggled with your entire life and then they're using it as a joke. Mm -hmm. And I do recall many instances in which somebody has used it as a joking term and I've been too afraid to say something. Mm. And so I think the lesson for me is I just need to be more vocal when I hear something that may be a little bit offensive. And, you know, I never want to make people feel like they're walking eggshells, but that shouldn't be something you're talking about flippantly anyway. Yeah. And so for me to stand up a little bit more, I think is something that I want to do and I'm working on. Mm -hmm. But even as as proud as I seem to talk about it right now, it's still something that I think I will always be, you know, it will always be the back of my mind of like, Ooh, yeah. I don't know if I even want to bring that up right now. Well, the, I mean, I think, you know, standing up is important, but the onus shouldn't be on you. Mm -hmm. The onus should be on the, on the people themselves to get educated and not yes. use OCD as a synonym for organized. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? OCD is something that can be really severe mm -hmm. for so many people um, and, and impact their daily lives so much. Mm -hmm. Same with Tourette's. I think it's used as a synonym, like when people mean like somebody's quirky even, mm -hmm. and you know what I mean? Or quote unquote spaz or whatever it is. Yes. And like, that is not Clearly, you've heard Alyssa's story now. Like, that is not what it is. And educating yourself is the onus should be on those people, not on you who's dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't, you're doing enough work over there, Thank all you. right? You don't need to do any more work. Thank the work you. should be on everybody else. So, I, I'm glad that we sort of like went into that little tangent there. But I want to get into more, I guess, the conversation around mental health, mm -hmm. right? And and I guess that's part of it as well and the education around it. But bringing it up in relationships, whether mm -hmm. they be friendships or romantic relationships, while it shouldn't be, can be nerve wracking to say the least. And I know that it's been a little bit of a rocky road for you in the past. Can you sort of like share some of that story yes. with us. Um, obviously we'll omit names. Yes. <laughs> of course. So, um, this is interesting because I was in a very serious relationship and I never hid the fact that I had these quote unquote issues. When did you bring that up in the relationship and how did you bring that up? Well, we actually talked about it. Honestly, I think on one of the first or second dates. Mm -hmm. And it was something that was never an issue. And I felt so supported. And, you know, I was, I was honestly like not super afraid to talk about it because I felt so supported in that moment. Mm -hmm. But as the relationship went on, I guess there were some underlying thoughts that were bubbling up that I didn't know about. And at the very 
close <laughs> close of our relationship after dating for how many about years? two years yeah okay yeah and so at the very close of our relationship after a very serious stage of you know engagement and all of that fun stuff thinking talking about moving in yes yeah yes uh, basically on the day of getting the keys to the new place that we were moving into um, I was told, and I'm not even going to talk about how I was told because that's a whole other story, but you know, I was, I was told that we can't be together. And when I asked what the reason was, the reason was that we would have messed up children and oh, oh my God. <laughs> yes, I've heard this story before and like, it still makes me cringe. Yes. It makes me cringe as well. Yeah. How did you respond? In a lot of different ways, but in the moment, I, I think you're just so taken aback that you don't even really know what to say. Um, I, I said what I had to say after, <laughs> but you know, the, the moral of that whole story is this person was somebody that I, I trusted and it's not even about one person. And I'm using this as an example because yeah. I'm not here to put anyone on blast. That is not my goal. My goal is to simply state my truth and how things mm -hmm. have affected me. Yeah. And this was a huge part of my mental health journey yeah. because when somebody tells you that you instantly think, well, is it me? Am, of course it is. Am I messed up? Right. Like, exactly. quote, first of all, categorizing mental a mental health issue as messed up is messed up. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I will never forget those were the exact words, messed up children. I wrote it down immediately after because I wanted myself to never forget. And, you know, I, I gave him many chances to clarify and, you know, just in case I interpreted it wrong, but I didn't. He never actually said, no, that wasn't the reason. That was the reason. And, you know, I, I talked about this whole situation and explain that you're basically saying I'm the one who is wrong here and we don't want any more people on this planet like you. And that is the exact sentiment that was put into that phrase when it was spoken to me. And I was going through a lot of stuff at that time. I mean, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but my dog was killed at the same time. My parents were having a lot of issues. I was having a lot of issues and I was trying to keep a straight face at work and be happy. And everything was kind of just crumbling down all at once. And, you know, that wasn't even all of what was happening at that time. But because of that, I started to just kind of get into this negative thinking and it was really taking a toll on everything. Yeah. And I haven't told anybody that because I'm so good at keeping a straight face and saying everything's fine. But it was so, so bad to the point where I just felt like maybe he's maybe he's right. And maybe, you know, we don't want more people like me here. Or I don't I don't feel worthy enough because obviously somebody else is gonna take that place of worthiness. And it was getting really bad to the point where I am grateful that I had this feeling of, I need to, I need to address this before it gets too bad. And I, I talked to my mom and I just told her, you know, I, I think I need to go to therapy. And I, I did. And I went Good to therapy you. because I had never had a place where I could talk to somebody who was completely neutral. 
And this was really important for me. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm, I'm a Christian and I have those beliefs and that has carried me more than anything. Um, and I don't want to say that word Christian so flippantly because I know it has a lot of different connotations to different groups, but to me, it's more so about my faith. And that was what has carried me through. But at the same time, there are a lot of people in those communities who feel like this is a bandaid or a fix all, Mm -hmm. you know, just say like, I'm good or pray about it, which is 100% true. And I pray about my, my struggles and everything. But when people place that on you and just say, do that and that's it, you're kind of left going, well, what else do I do? Because it doesn't feel any better. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very, very important. And this is my personal opinion. I'm not an expert, um, to actually seek out help if you have gotten to that point. And, when I went to therapy, um, I was very careful about who I chose because, you know, you're basically going to seek advice from somebody. And mm-hmm. so it needs to be somebody that you trust. Absolutely. And I wouldn't advise just going to anybody, you know, do your research. And this this woman that I went to had, um, you know, a background that I was confident in. And I, I was very grateful for this experience. It was very difficult. I would go once a week and we would just talk about everything. I would lay it all out. And it was a safe space for me because outside of those walls, I felt like I had to protect everyone else. And I'm a protector when it comes to people's reputations, their names and who they are. And yeah. I mean, I'm doing that this very moment. I'm I'm guarding myself and I'm being very careful about what I say, but that's because I'm the type of person who doesn't like to, I guess, bring other people down, even if they're in the wrong. Yeah. And Just so, so you guys know, I, this person that she's talking about is a public figure and she's like totally protecting this person who does not deserve to be protected. But I will, I will say that you are a better person than I am. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, and I mean, that's that's the whole the whole idea behind going to therapy was you need to lay it all out. You yeah. have to um, because when you keep things inside, it just grows and it festers and you don't really know what to do with it. And I'm grateful for the time that I had in therapy because mm-hmm. it really, really clarified a lot of things for me. And I didn't realize that the reason I was taking it so hard is because this was something that I would, I was struggling with my entire life. And then when somebody comes and says something like that to you, it just kind of throws you for a loop because you feel, oh, I thought I I was fine. Like I thought I got over that. And then especially somebody you love and trust and thought you were getting that back too. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so I got to that point of going to therapy and, it started to slowly just open up the roof for me and I started to see things more clearly. And, um, you know, it wasn't just this one person who turned his back. It was the entire family Mm -hmm. and everyone, you know, upheld that statement of it's you and you're the messed up one. And because of that, my, my body reacted as though five people I love just died. Mm -hmm. And that sounds super, super, out there and like I'm no, exaggerating. Not at all. Yeah. But the thing is when you're talking to people every single day and then all of a sudden it's just cut off and you have That's no a death. more contact and you cannot contact them, you know, your body responds that way. And my physical body was taking a toll. I 
my hair was falling out. I mean, it was really bad. And I went to my hairdresser and she was like, the only time I've seen this kind of hair loss is when something traumatic happens. What happened? And, you know, it wasn't just him. It was the combination of everything all at once going on in my life. And, you know, I, I felt that going to therapy would maybe help. And I'm grateful and I'm so happy to say that it did. And, you know, I, again, I think it's just very important to note that everybody has different struggles. Everybody Mm -hmm. has different phases of life. But whenever you get to a point that you feel it's too much to bear, it's always better to seek help. And um, for me, there are multiple layers of seeking help. And for me, it looks like prayer. It looks like therapy. It looks like personal care. It's also my external care. As you know, as soon as I finished this whole therapy route, I also started getting my physical body more in shape. So I started doing aerial <laughs> and it's, you know, when it's, you're a, in- <laughs> it's amazing. You guys have to like, look at her Instagram, the things that she does with scarves <laughs> and yoga in the air. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's very fun, but you know, it was, it was an internal and external process. And if you tell yourself internally that you're getting stronger, but your outside is withering away, it's not going to balance out. And so once I started Ariel, I started working more on my upper body strength and all of this. And so I felt more strong on the outside and the inside. And I think once you put those together, it completely changes the game. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think I can speak on behalf of myself, everybody who knows you, and probably everybody who is listening to this, that the world should be so lucky if there were more people like you on it. Number one. Thank you. Number two, I think from going, you know, in seventh grade and and crying, you know, when your mom was talking about what you're going through to now and sharing your story so publicly and so vulnerably um, is so powerful. And you are, you are a voice for anybody dealing with anything and struggling with anything and, and an inspiration to so many people. And I'd love to know what advice you would give to other women or people in general about talking about their struggles with mental health, whether that just be, you know, your garden variety anxiety to, you know, whatever it may be. Yes. Well, I think it's important to note that, as I think I mentioned earlier, we are all going through life together. Yeah. No one is alone, even though we may feel like it at some times. But at the end of the day, we are all surviving. (laughs) Amen. And that's kind of what brings us all together. Besides the fact that we're human, we have intrinsic worth and God has created us all individually and specially. But at the same time, you know, I think we're all so focused on you know, how do I sound when I'm talking to somebody or am I, am I holding myself the right way so they don't think I'm this or that? And I think once we throw those thoughts out of our mind, we really start to see that we are all on the same level. Yeah. And when you're talking with people, I mean, yes, it depends on who you're talking with, but if you have the people that you trust, it's so important to be able to open up to them because And this is something I've witnessed in my own life is that you never know what somebody's going through. And if you are so brave enough to talk about your story, then it might just give them an opportunity to talk about theirs. And you never know if that is the conversation that they needed 
to say, okay, I actually do need to go get help or I need to address this situation. And, um, you know, unfortunately and extremely sadly, I've had multiple friends commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that anybody should take responsibility for that. But moving forward with other relationships, how can we be more intentional about reaching out to people? Um, now, when I think about somebody, if they pop into my mind, I immediately send them a text or just a message of, hey, how are you? Are you doing okay? And I think that goes a very, very long way because, again, you never know what somebody is, is dealing with mentally. And I think for us to be more open will allow for a greater dialogue around this topic and also to bring us closer together as cliche as that sounds but it's extremely important no i mean you're so right i think so many people with mental health suffer in silence mm -hmm. and if you had a broken leg you wouldn't be just like oh let me just keep this in i won't i'm not going to tell anybody i'm not going to go to a doctor i'm not going to treat this i'm just going to deal with it and power through like you wouldn't do that and mm -hmm. so you would seek help you would ask for somebody to drive you to the doctor you would go to talk to the doctor about what you're going through you would seek out treatment options whatever it may be and so I think we need to treat mental health in the same way that we treat physical health because your brain is like a huge organ in your body and you should be taking care of it the same way that you treat exactly. everything else and and in terms of connection like like we, we were friends, but when you shared your story, don't you think like, I feel like I felt so much closer to you after that. And we started talking more. We started hanging out more. Like it just opened up this whole new aspect of our relationship and bond, mm -hmm. um, that I think is so in line with how, how relationships work and how the foundation of relationship works when you show that vulnerability, when you bring your guard down and when you share your struggles, because like you said, like you are not alone. We are not alone in this. And when you talk about that, how many times have you been like found that somebody is struggling through something very similar as you, or they're All going the through, time. exactly. They're going through their own issue, even if it's not the same as yours, where they can relate to what you are going through and what you've been through and you feel seen and you feel heard and they feel seen and you and they feel heard mm -hmm. and you don't feel like you are walking through this earth by oh. yourself yeah yes uh, this has been I gotta say it's been like one of my favorite Aww, um episodes uh, for real no I mean you're just you're just a, an amazing woman and I feel so grateful to call you my friend and I'm not just like saying this because you are my friend. This has just been, <laughs> I, I I feel blessed um, having had this experience and I hope our listeners feel the same way. I want to ask you five rapid fire questions that you can answer with one word or phrase. What is one thing you couldn't live without? Food. Yes, <laughs> girl. Oh my God. We were talking so about much. food before we started recording exactly. this. <laughs> uh, what drives you? The, the drive to be better. And I'm sorry, this is going to be more than one word, but as I said earlier, it's something I'm still working through and making sure that doesn't take over my mentality, but it's still something that I have to honestly say it motivates me. Yeah. I think we should always try to be better. And I think there's a line between trying to evolve and trying to be a perfectionist. And I think we should always try to evolve, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. What keeps you positive? My faith, because it gives me hope. 
In a dark world. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what is it, love in a hopeless place? Uh, What or who inspires you? Honestly, the people that I know who have no formal training but manage to do what they do anyway, like Mm -hmm. you, doing a podcast. And a friend who has a business, you know, where she's making cups and drawing on it and, you know, she's selling them. And I'm like, you didn't even know how to draw and you're doing it and candle making. So all the people out there who are just making things happen without ever having formal training. Oh, I love that. Uh, that is that is such a good one too, because you don't need formal training. Honestly, like for most things, you just need Google mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. and, and, and the YouTube. drive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You need Google, YouTube and the drive and yeah. you can do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your intention, Alyssa? It could be for today, tomorrow, or your lifetime. My intention is to hopefully impact the people who are going through the same or similar circumstances. And anything that I can do to help that, I want to do. Yeah. I think you did an amazing job of that today. Thank you so, so much for being here. Tell everybody where they can find you. Thank you. And you can find me on Instagram at Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A underscore Leon, L-E-I-N. So that's me. You'll find all of my aerial photos. (laughs) Yeah. They are so impressive. (laughs) It is beyond. I keep telling Alyssa that I want to go with her, but I'm like secretly scared that I'm just going to like fall from like 10 feet up and make a fool of myself. We'll do a beginner class. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. Uh, And as always, you can find me at Hannah Cranston on Instagram. Instagram and Twitter. Please, please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. Also, if you found this episode as inspirational and as powerful as I did, please take a screenshot of you listening to the episode. Tag me, tag Alyssa so that we can share it as well and reach more people with this message. And just a reminder, we'll be coming at you every Wednesday. So buckle up because it's going to be too much to handle. See you next week. Ah!